Um, this morning we are recommencing our series in Mark's Gospel. Uh, so before Christmas, uh, we were looking at uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem. Uh, we're uh, coming to the last week of Jesus's life on earth. Uh, it's going to lead up uh, to the crux of Christianity, which is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. But I would like us to consider this morning a very difficult piece, which is to do with Jesus cursing the fig tree. Now, when we had um, missions uh, in university, uh, the gospel would be preached uh, in terms of the good news and inviting people to Jesus Christ. And then the meeting after Mission Week would be what was termed a gospel challenge. A gospel challenge. And that is what uh, the Lord has laid on my heart this morning. So normally when we hear the gospel, it's a declaration of the good news and that we can come to Jesus Christ. And we need to hear that Sunday morning after Sunday morning. But we also need to be challenged by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I do think uh, in uh, the visitation that they had uh, in um, East Anglia under the ministry of Bob Cotton, it was this piece about Jesus cursing the fig tree that the Lord used uh, to save a number of of people. So I just want to give you the timeline here. I tried to bring it out in the reading because that is key to understanding the challenge here of Jesus Christ to us. Uh, Jesus, as we looked last time, has triumphantly entered the city of Jerusalem and he goes into the temple and then because it's late, he and his disciples, they return to Bethany, which is only a few miles southeast of Jerusalem. That's where they're staying. So the next day, they are about to enter into Jerusalem again. And Jesus is hungry. And he sees from a distance near Bethany a fig tree and it's in bloom. So he goes up to this fig tree thinking that it will have figs. But there's no figs. And so he does something quite remarkable. He curses the tree. He curses the tree because it's got no fruit. And the disciples make a mental note of that. And then Jesus and the twelve go into Jerusalem. And when they enter the temple, Jesus sees the religion of his day. And he is filled with a righteous anger. And we know the story, don't we, of Jesus cleansing the temple, overthrowing the tables and taking a whip and throwing the money changers and the hypocrite out of God's house. And he says, this is a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of thieves. And then they return to Bethany and they stay the night there. And the next morning, they see the fig tree, the one that Jesus cursed, and it's completely withered. And they ask Jesus, what is this? What is this? And you know what Jesus says? 
Have faith in God. And then he goes on to teach something. The lesson of the withered fig tree. This is a sermon, my friends, a sermon. And in Bob Cotton's church in the late 70s, I think some of you were there. God used this sermon to convert people. Now, this is the only time that Jesus actually destroys something in his earthly ministry. I know when we looked at the Gadarene demoniac that was healed, Jesus drove the demons into the pigs. So that was an act of destruction, but that was a byproduct. This is a direct act of Jesus where he destroys something. And in today's uh, society, people are probably horrified that a beautiful fig tree is destroyed. How dare Jesus Christ destroy life? Well, all right, but how much more valuable is a human being? Don't you feel that today? We must look after the natural world. We must look after animals. But how much more should we be concerned for one another? And how much more valuable is not so much our physical lives, but the soul, the soul. Um, we often pray in the vestry there uh, that we would realize how precious one immortal soul is. So if I can put this without blaspheming, so what if Jesus destroys a tree if one immortal soul can be saved and that's what happened under bob cotton <laughs> may it happen this morning so what's the challenge here what's the challenge here of the gospel well look at the description there's a word or a phrase i want to draw your attention to so here is jesus hungry and he sees this fig tree. He walks up to it. Uh, let me read verse 13, if you've got a Bible. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to it. He comes close to it. Perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found, and here's the phrase, nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. And Jesus doesn't lose his temper in frustration with this poor fig tree because it's got no figs on it. When Jesus curses it, he's doing it for a spiritual reason to teach us that there's such a thing as a Christianity that's nothing but leaves and it's not true Christianity. Now, is that our religion this morning? I don't like the word religion, but the fact that we're here shows that we have some sort of religion. Now, my question to every one of us, whether we say we're Christians or whether we say we're not Christians, it is this. Is it leaves, my friends? Is it outward display? Is it like these flowers? Beautiful, abundant, but there's no spiritual life. I think the timing is critical here. 
when did Jesus curse this fig tree? It was after he'd seen what had taken place in the temple. He didn't cleanse the temple the first time round. But Jesus had been into the temple. After his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we read, he went into the temple and he looked around at all things. He saw the religion of the Jews at its heights. And his conclusion was, nothing but leaves. Have you heard of the Jewish historian Josephus? Josephus. He wrote that during the Passover in Jesus' day, listen to this now, there would have been, even if Jophisa, jo, it's a tongue twister of a name, isn't it? Even if Josephus is exaggerating, listen to this, 256,000 lambs sacrificed. 256,000 lambs. Now, if each person brought a lamb, you would have had 256,000 people in Jerusalem during Passover. Now, some people think we're a large congregation, and we're about four, 500 maybe this morning. 256,000. According to one commentator, each person would have sacrificed 10 lambs. Do you know how many people would have been in Jerusalem during the Passover then? I don't think this can be true. 2.7 million people. Well... Jerusalem's too small for that. But here's a vast crowd, and Jesus isn't impressed. Oh, my friend, if you think that because you're coming to a large evangelical church, that that somehow makes your Christianity impressive, it's nothing but leaves. Do you know how religious these people were? They, they would be sacrificing every day. The, the display would have been amazing. The temple would have been one of the most impressive buildings in the ancient world. It was built of marble, and the pillars would have been made of pure gold. But Jesus is not impressed. It's nothing but leaves. Nothing but leaves. Oh, what is our Christianity? Is our Christianity just attending an evangelical church? Are you depending on that? Are you depending on the fact that you're a member of a sound, reformed, evangelical church? Are you depending on the fact that you are attending all the meetings, that you're not just coming Sunday morning, but Sunday evening, that you're making the prayer meeting, that you're even making the Bible study, that you're attending all the missionary prayer meetings? If that's all your Christianity is, in Jesus' estimation, it's nothing but leaves. What about our zeal? Uh, top lady put it brilliantly when he said, not the labors of my hands. Oh, I'm a pastor. I labor, I work. But that doesn't make me a Christian in God's eyes. Top lady went on to say, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. And listen, could my zeal, no respite, no. Zeal without rest. Think of members of the cults 
uh, look at them going door to door. Oh, if you're somehow depending on the fact that your Christianity is real because it's active, Jesus says it's nothing but leaves if that's all you've got. Could my zeal no respite? No. Could my tears forever flow? You'll say to me, ah, it's not just active, I'm emotional. So what, Jesus says? It can be nothing but leaves. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, it's easy to make a Welshman cry. (laughs) We can be crying if Wales is losing in the rugby. Takes an earthquake to make us change our mind. Nothing but leaves. We haven't heard J.C. Ryle for a while. This is J.C. Ryle, uh, the Bishop of Liverpool, over 100 years ago. Let us take care that we each... This is the challenge of the gospel. Let us take care that we each individually learn the lesson from this sermon of the fig tree. Let us always remember that baptism and church membership and receiving the Lord's Supper, as we'll be doing later, and the diligent use of the means of grace, that's all the meetings are not sufficient to save one soul. They are leaves, nothing but leaves. And without fruit, we will all be condemned. Like the fig leaves of which Adam and Eve made themselves garments, they will not hide the nakedness of our souls from the eye of an all-seeing God. Oh, is your Christianity and mine just leaves? Or have we got the real thing? Um, I've said before, um, Chinese Christians were invited to the States and they were shown round the evangelical churches. I was reading the other day about one pastor in the States. He grew his church. What a horrible word. He grew his church from 50 to 5,000 that sounds impressive, doesn't it? That, that's the size of churches, evangelical churches in the States, from 50 to 5,000. And these people, these evangelicals, were taking these Chinese Christians around, trying to impress them <laughs> with 5,000 members. And you know, they said, what do you think of our Christianity here in the States? And the Chinese Christians looked at them and said, We are amazed, we are amazed at how much one can do without the Holy Spirit. Nothing but leaves. I don't want 5,000 here if it's not God growing the church. And then the next point, this is the most important point. It's not leaves Jesus is looking for, but fruit. Fruit. Look at the description here. Seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went near it to see if perhaps he would find some fruits. My friends, this is what Jesus Christ is doing with you and me. He doesn't look on the outward appearance. 
he's coming near. This is what preaching is. Jesus coming near by his Spirit. And he's looking to see what our hearts are like. Now, I'm very afraid this morning of preaching on this theme. Because I know some of you who are real, but who have tender consciences, will feel guilty in the wrong way. But we must release the word of God. And we must, as it were, put ourselves under the eye of Jesus Christ. We must. So let's try and open this up. The, the, the fig tree was an emblem of Israel. In the Old Testament, Israel is compared to a fig tree. And you have in Micah, I think, God looking at the fig tree of his people and not able to gather any fruit from it. Now, it says that it wasn't the season for figs. So is Jesus being hard here? No, he's not. What that means is this. Often, a fig tree would have leaves and the early figs would be there, the unripe figs. So what we have here is a fig tree that has leaves, but there's even no green figs here. There's nothing here. So that's comforting, isn't it? Because it's not the amount of fruit that Jesus is interested in. It's just life he's looking for, spiritual life, even if it's immature life, even if it's just the unripe figs. That's what matters. That's what matters. Now, let, let's just ask ourselves, what is this, uh, this life? There's a verse, I think, in Proverbs which says, a living dog. Do you know this? A living dog is better than a dead lion. <laughs> a dog to the Jew would have been unclean. I've got to be careful because I've got a conflict of interest when it comes to dogs because I'm scared of them. But Solomon says, a living dog, this unclean animal, is better than a dead lion. A lion was a noble creature, but it's no good if it's dead. And it's a bit like that with this fruit. It's not the amount of fruit. It's not the beauty of the fruit. It's whether there's fruit. Have you ever had a panic attack? It's a horrible thing, a panic attack. It feels like a heart attack. And do, uh, do, do you know what, what, what you can do if you have a panic attack to make sure it's not a heart attack? You check to see if you've still got a pulse. <laughs> and spiritually, even if our pulse isn't strong, if there's a pulse, we're alive. We're alive. Uh, Jesus Christ, earlier on in Mark's gospel, he used the analogy, didn't he, of um, the seed and the seed being buried in the ground. So the seed is alive when it's not seen. So we are made alive. What is Christianity? Christianity isn't taking on religion. Uh, Christianity isn't deciding that now I'm going to start attending church, that I'm going to start praying, I'm going to start reading my Bible. That's not Christianity. A Christian does those things, but he does them from the inside out. There's new life in the heart. It wasn't there before. I've been made alive in Jesus Christ. The Spirit has regenerated me. It's like the seed being buried and underground. I can't, 
I can't remember when I was born again. Those of you who are Christians, none of you will know when that spiritual life was first planted. But what do you know? Well, you begin to see that seed pop out. Uh, there's a phrase, isn't there, in politics, the green shoots of recovery. Or is it in economics? It's in economics, I think. The green shoots of recovery. When you begin to see those green shoots, they're not much to look at. But that's the sign of life. And with me, I don't know when I was born again. But I know when I was converted, when those green shoots started popping up. Because I was concerned for my soul. I wasn't worried about my soul before. I was judging other people who weren't as moral as me but I wasn't concerned about my spiritual condition but the green shoots appeared when I started having soul concern have you had soul concern you begin to see that it's not so much other people who are sinners it's you who's the sinner in the words of the tax collector praying God be merciful to me the sinner and then what do these green shoots do? Oh, these green shoots take you to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the sum of Christianity. Uh, listen to Jesus here, uh, summing up the lesson of this parable of the cursing of the fig tree. Verse 22, have faith in God. Now, uh, there's something much bigger here than saving faith. Uh, but all I want to concentrate on this morning is this. What is this fruit? It is faith. Faith that wasn't there before. We are saved by grace through faith. And that is the gift of God. Somebody was sharing their testimony with me the other day. And they said they didn't believe these things. And then suddenly they believed. That's faith. Faith. And the Puritans, who've had a bad press, the Puritans, 17th century people, later Puritans, don't bother with later Puritans because they just concentrate on the outward. But the real Puritans are about the hearts. And they described faith in three things. Faith has three components. Faith is knowledge. You've got to know a bare minimum about Jesus to be saved. You've got to know that he is God's son, that he on the cross died, not for himself, but for a person like you. You've got to know. But then the second thing is you assent to that. What is that? You agree that it's true. But that's not enough, is it? Because the devils believe and are not saved. The third component of faith, and this is the really important one, is trust. You know you're a sinner. You know that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners by dying as our substitute on the cross. And praise God, you agree that it's true. But you don't stop there. You just throw yourself on Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? Um, Spurgeon, one of my favourite preachers, he used to get complaints about his preaching. That's really encouraging. <laughs> and he used to have a man writing to him often, letters of complaints, and this man said, Mr Spurgeon, I'm saying in love, you know when a person says that to you, watch out. I'm saying in love, we are tired of hearing about the emptiness of your hand. 
Do you understand that? We are tired of hearing of the emptiness of your hand. Do you know why? Because in nearly every sermon, Spurgeon would quote the top lady hymn, which I've already quoted, and he goes on to say, nothing in my hand I bring. And you know what? Spurgeon wrote back to the person and said, thank you for drawing my attention. But let me quote, nothing in my hands I bring. Because we don't bring anything. Do, do you get that? The essence of fruit is not how much we know. The devil is the best theologian in that sense. It's not how much we do. The devil is the most active in that sense. It's not how much we feel. Because even demons felt in the presence of Jesus. They felt fear. It's whether we trust. Can you say this morning, I'm not asking if you've got great faith. I'm not asking if you've got great fruits, love, joy, and peace in great abundance. I'm asking this. Can you say with Spurgeon and with me and with Top Lady, nothing, nothing in my hand I bring. Not my good works, not my religious works. I've got nothing. But praise God, Jesus is everything. That's faith. Hudson Taylor put it well. Faith is weak in a strong saviour. I love that. Don't you? I used to quote a lot. Um, a Caribbean lady. I haven't quoted her for a bit. So here goes. English wasn't her first language. Indeed, English wasn't very strong at all with her. But she could sum up the gospel in a few words. And it was this. He, Jesus, die. Me, no more die. Have you, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Uh, there was a formula in the Reformation which says, let me get it right, we are justified by faith alone, nothing in my hand. But that faith which saves doesn't come alone. Do you get that? If we believe in Jesus alone, it will have life there. Uh, there's a verse in Galatians, I think, which says, faith works by love. So here am I. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone. I'm not resting on anything else. Not my good works, not my feelings, nothing. But then, this is the amazing thing. When I find I'm trusting in Jesus alone, there is life there, isn't there? There is life. And Jesus goes on to mention this. I know I'm, I'm very superficially dealing with these words. Uh, he says, for example, verse 25, whenever you stand praying, so I trust in Jesus Christ to save me. What is that? That is prayer. Faith breathes itself in prayer. I often said my prayers. That was me when I was simply 
only leaves. I had a religion. I had a chapel. Uh, that was all that I had. I said my prayers, but I only really prayed when I asked Jesus Christ to save me. You pray. Have you ever prayed? I'm not asking, have you prayed beautiful, eloquent, long prayers? No, that's nothing but leaves. Have you prayed from your heart? Is there a heart cry, even if you can't put it into words, even if you're so fatigued that you can't put words together, but there's a cry there, is there? That's spiritual life. It wasn't there before. Praise God for it. Praise God for the O's in the prayer meeting. And then this is love. It wasn't there before. Some people are more gregarious than others. That means they're more outgoing. They're more huggy. <laughs> I'm not one of those. I'm not. And I used to have doubts after I was saved because I thought I didn't love other Christians because I didn't hug them. My friends, it's not how gregarious you are. It's the heart. Do you love, when we sang 344, it was strange, wasn't it, singing it as the third hymn after singing it as the introit. Did there something within you really just tug at this? We love the place, oh God. We love the church. We love the word of life. We love to sing below. I hated it before. I found it boring before. I, I didn't get the hymns before. But now, I'm not saying my love is great. My love is weak and faint. But I love, I love these things. That's a sign of life. I can't remember if it was Willie Still or Douglas Macmillan, two great Scottish preachers who've gone to glory now, but they were interviewing teenage boys for baptism or church membership. I can't even remember whether it was baptism or church membership. And so they wanted to make sure if they were spiritually alive. And you know what teenage boys are like. You know. If you get a grunt, that, that's something, isn't it? And Doug, Douglas Mac, let's say it was Douglas Macmillan. Douglas Macmillan couldn't get anything out of these two teenage boys. He couldn't get their testimony. So do you know what one of them said in the end? Well, pastor, he said, it's like this. It's like this. About three months ago, we suddenly found your preaching was interesting. Isn't? My, my friends, it wasn't that Douglas Macmillan was boring before the three months. It was that those two teenage boys were spiritually dead. And now there's life there. And they find the preaching speaking to them. They find the word of God, their spiritual food. They find prayer, something that comes second nature. They find God's people, whoever they are. We're a large and a diverse group here. But, you know, when I was saved, I joined a church that only had about 40, 50 people. They were elderly people. And yet, I belonged to those people. There was something in me that bonded to something in them, the Holy Spirit. Like attracts like, irrespective of age, irrespective of temperamental differences, irrespective of all sorts of other things. That spiritual life. Again, I'm not asking if there's great abundance of fruits. 
is their reality, even if it faints. And then there's one more, one more. I, I long for everyone here this morning to just abandon themselves to Jesus Christ. That's faith, isn't it? Just surrender to him. But there's one more thing, and I need to hurry here because we are to come to the Lord's table and the clock in the back doesn't work. And I fear I may have gone over. This is the scary thing here. Somebody asked me before the service this morning, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm really frightened. Let me tell you why. Jesus is judging here. He's judging. Spurgeon, the first Adam came to the fig tree for leaves. Jesus, the last Adam, came not for leaves, but for figs. He's looking for life. Jesus is meek. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. I am meek. I am lowly. But also, there's a phrase in Revelation which I find frightening. It is the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Lamb on the cross, slain for our sins instead of us. But there's such a thing as the wrath, the anger of the Lamb. And it's not uh, Jesus losing his temper. It's this pure hatred of everything that is sinful. And we shrivel before such. And that is why I'm scared. If you've started reading the Chronicles of Narnia, as I hope you have, you will eventually get to the voyage of the Dawn Treader. I can't remember which number it is, but they are traveling on this ship, the Dawn Treader, trying to get to Aslan's country, which is heaven. And uh, the children, they reach the shore of Aslan's country, and they see on the beach a lamb cooking breakfast. Now, don't, don't ask me to explain that, right? A lamb cooking breakfast. And Lucy says to the lamb, is this the way into Aslan's country? And then a change happens to the lamb. His snowy, white, flushed into tawny gold. I like that. And his size changed, and he was Aslan himself, the lion, towering above them and scattering light from his mane. The lamb is the lion. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God, the pure, spotless, tender lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's also the lion of the tribe of Judah, in whose hands are the scepter, the rod of judgment. And listen, today is a day of mercy. Oh, the door of mercy is still open. Come to Jesus Christ while there's chance. Because one day the door will be shut. And Jesus will come back not as saviour, but as judge. The wrath of the Lamb. I heard this illustration recently. Living in this world is like being in prison. 
but the door of the prison is open so we can come in and out as we please. But one day, the door of the prison will be shut and it will never be opened again. And that's the world to come. That's hell. And we are under the wrath of the Lamb forever and ever. I, I don't want anybody here to find themselves forever in that place. I want all of you to come in to Jesus Christ. The ark, as Noah built the ark to save his family from the flood. So Jesus is the ark and the door is open. But in Noah's day, even though Noah preached, people didn't listen, they didn't come, and they were lost. My friends, I don't want any of you here this morning to find yourself lost eternally. I don't want to be accused on the last day because I've got to give an account to Jesus Christ. I don't want him to say to me, why are people's blood on your hands? I want to try and preach this gospel, yes, in its comfort, but also in its challenges. And I want to try and be as plain as possible. I wish I could be plainer. I want to use illustrations from everyday life in order to bang the point home. We need Jesus and we need him now. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. The wrath of the Lamb. On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And you know what Jesus will say? I never knew you. Nothing but leaves. I'm sure on that day, some soul who will have felt a failure and who have struggled with doubts throughout their Christian life will stand before Jesus and Jesus will say, Come and welcome. Not because you deserve it, but because you are trusting in me, even though that faith is trembling. Oh, may we be just like that. Small, green, figs, not much, but praise God if it's real, if it's real. Uh, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he wrote at the start of the 20th century, The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Spirit, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, politics without God, heaven without hell. I think those words are prophetic and they are just as true at the start of the 21st century. The fig tree. Jesus judging. His strange work. I'm glad that judgment is God's strange work. He will judge. But today, the door of mercy is still open. 
and it's free. And may we all come as we are to Jesus Christ. And if we're in him, may we not be satisfied with little fruits. May we seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of him.